0: Twelve oh seven, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, do you see the news uh, the Weekly Standard announcing it is shutting down
1: after twenty plus years? Right,
0: and of course, the, the Weekly Standard is uh, it's it's very similar, I would think, to to National Review for people who know. I mean, a number of the the editors, Stephen Hayes and Bill Crystal, have been guests on various programs. Our former colleague Charlie Sykes is a contributing editor yep. there. Um, they've announced that uh, it, it, it is shutting down. Got a theory on what happened?
1: What's that? Say that again. Got a theory Sorry. on what happened or want to leave it to uh, me? Well, so uh, I think, first of all, it's hard to get people to pay for a subscription or be able to make money if you're not going to pay for a subscription for something like that. I think that's tricky when you have right. a staff that large, when you have a staff that is talented enough where they're going to want to be paid a decent amount of coin as well. Plus, I know I don't know if this is where you're going, but very critical of the current situation in the administration i'm sure that doesn't play well with some of the base that used to read that periodical all of that may come in but i've heard that the traffic is actually better than ever the, right the traffic but
0: right the, the, the traffic i guess has been up the question is whether or not that translates who who it is who is it that's that's watching that No, i i i don't disagree with you i for for those of you, and I'm I'm sure maybe you you might have subscribed at some point in time. Weekly Standard was founded in the mid 1990s, and um, it it was I think very closely aligned intellectually with the Bush administration, and served as during the Obama years as kind of the what I would say the the loyal opposition. Some some very intellectual approaches to conservatism. They've really there, there's in my opinion at least there's two issues going on. Issue number one is what uh, Eric was just talking about. Th- this is a problem that, that periodicals, the publications have been having is and, and it goes back, it's, it's not limited to magazines, it's, it's the newspapers how do you monetize these things? I mean if you look at the circulation for most newspapers, they're down and they're down dramatically The and when circulation goes down dramatically, what also happens is ad revenue for things just en- end up drying up and it's not that people, I don't know, don't want the information, but oftentimes what happens is they want it when they want it. And as Eric was just saying... Once you start giving away your content, it it becomes difficult then to start charging for that content. And everybody wants free stuff. I mean, how many times do you maybe you know hit a link and go to a website because maybe you want to read a column or something and you find that it's behind a paywall and you just say, "Okay, well, no, I'm not I'm not going to subscribe. I'm just going to I'm going to move on. And that's just the reality. So I think that hit the weekly standard. And then the the other thing is the the Trump factor. I, I don't think you can deny it. I, it it's it's interesting when you do what i do for a living especially from a conservative perspective you have to look at, at at what's happened over the last couple years and i think for a lot of us we find president trump i mean look i i was never a fan of of donald trump personally i didn't like the celebrity apprentice i didn't like the apprentice I didn't like any of that i i just he he is not a guy that i like personally and and i've never liked him Personally, and so that's always been one of the the factors. The um, Weekly Standard has, over the last couple of years since Donald Trump got elected president, has set itself up as the the conservative opposition, and they've really cut Donald Trump no slack at all. And I think the result is they've turned off a lot of conservative readers. Now, I, the, where I think they went wrong, I, I look. I appreciate you being intellectually honest. But the truth is, nobody's perfect all the time, and nobody's lousy all the time. And that's, I've tried to have what I consider to be a principal approach to the Trump administration on this program, which is when he does stuff that I think is just plain wrong, like the trade wars or things like that, or some of the stuff he says, I've tried to call him out on it, but at the same time, when he does things that I I think are appropriate, for example, tax reform and a number of the judicial appointments, I've tried to praise that as well. And I hear from both sides. I hear from conservatives who, when I will do that, will say, oh, why don't you go Work for MSNBC, Or when I praise him, I'll hear from liberals. Don't you understand? This guy's the worst thing in the world. How can you? Da- how dare you say it? And the truth is, again, I-, I think, you know, you have to call him like you see him. The Weekly Standard clearly alienated a lot of conservative readers by being relentlessly anti-Trump. And in that capacity, really became no different than MSNBC or some of the other stuff that was out there. But it, that having been said um, for the last 20 plus years, the Weekly Standard has been an interesting and thoughtful conservative voice, and I don't think anybody can be too glad that it is shutting down. That it's 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 a loss. A lot of different factors that are playing into that. All right, as I said when I was talking to Steve Scafidi, this is actually my last show of the year. Uh, my management is good enough to give me a couple. I still have a couple weeks vacation left, so I'm going to be be taking it and enjoying the holidays with my family and my friends. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up. We're not going anywhere, but we don't go gently. Into the good weekend, a lot of stuff I want to discuss with you. Some serious, and then per- perhaps a little bit more fun. Plus, we're going to bring back a feature that I do maybe twice a year uh, at the start of the two o'clock hour. But let's start off with the the big news, and it is a story out of Washington once again. The for the longest time, President Trump has denied that he knew anything about payments during the 2016 campaign to various women Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal who's a former Playboy model for the longest time president trump has been has denied knowledge of any payments to these women to they're they're using the word hush money i, I think that's perhaps unfair what what really happened is there's allegations that you know, President Trump had ongo- an ongoing affair with his Karen McDougal and had this one-night stand with the pornographic film actress Stormy Daniels. The allegations are that there were arrangements made ultimately through President Trump when he was running as candidate Donald Trump, to buy their women, these stories of these women, and then they call it catch and kill. The National Enquirer buys the stories, and then they don't run it. All right. President Trump, number one, continues to deny that he had these affairs. I don't think anybody believes him when he he says that. Number two, he has up until uh, really yesterday, he has denied that he had any knowledge of the fact that this financial arrangement where money coming from his fixer lawyer Michael Cohn was going to the National Enquirer and that money was going to be used to buy these stories. He's denied any knowledge that that's happened. He now appears to be well; he's, he's backing off on that. Here's the way the Washington Post reports it. For months President Trump's spokesman his lawyer and his lawyer's lawyer denied that President Trump knew about payments during his 2016 campaign to buy the silence of women who allege sexual encounters with him. The president himself claimed the same. But after mounting evidence and fresh courthouse revelations of wrongdoing this week exposed those denials as falsehoods, Trump is shifting his tune. The president no longer disputes that he instructed his then-personal attorney, Michael Cohen, to make the payments to former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal and adult film star Stephanie Clifford, who goes by the stage name Stormy Daniels. Instead... Trump sought to evade that question Thursday by saying he never told Cohen to break the law, making a narrow assertion that was itself an admission that his and his team's early denials were false. I never directed Michael Cohen to break the law, Trump wrote in Twitter statements that were at times hard to comprehend. He was a lawyer and he's supposed to know the law. It's called advice of counsel, and a lawyer has a great liability if a mistake is made. That's why they get paid. Um, in these and other statements Thursday, Trump tried to place the blame entirely on Cohen for felonies that his advisors and allies are increasingly concerned could imperil the president. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet mortgage talk and text line. If you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I, I maintain that even if President Trump orchestrated payments to these women in part – to try to buy their silence for the political campaign. I don't believe that in and of itself would be a felony under the law for campaign finance violations. Nevertheless, other people might disagree. It now appears, and I don't know that this is any surprise to anybody, that President Trump... Did know that these payments were going to be made, were being made. And undoubtedly, as I've, as I've said before, I, I have no doubt what happened in this situation. You're running for president. You have these two women who are coming forward. They want to sell their stories of sexual relations with you. You don't want the story to come out. Maybe you're afraid it's going to affect the election a little bit. You don't want to be embarrassed. You don't want your wife to find out or be humiliated. humiliated. I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons why you would try to keep these stories quiet. Some might be campaign related. A lot of other stories not campaign related. But the bottom line is, let let us assume that Trump knew about the payments. Let us assume that he signed off on the payments. Do you care? 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620 that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line is this going to be something that brings down the Trump presidency or or will it be overreach if prosecutors go after him 414-799-1620 that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line do you care we discuss in just a minute if you're on the line please hold on 1217 Jeff Wagner WTMJ <laughs> It's 1220. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are monitoring Governor Walker's press conference. Governor Walker is in Green Bay, and he is announcing his decisions on the various pieces of lame duck legislation, which was passed by the state legislature last week. Indications are he's going to sign most of it, um, but I expect there will be a couple line item vetoes. Again, we're monitoring that so far. The governor has been essentially he's got he's got charts and things out there and he's and these are these are like pie charts with overlapping stuff. Eric Billsett, you've been watching this and and mm-hmm. I th- I think he's he's. I, I don't have the audio, but he's trying to argue
1: that this this legislation really isn't that big a deal right, and it's not right. taking away that many powers so from Governor he, Evers. He's taking a methodical approach at this, yes, and it's almost like a PowerPoint presentation, but on, on a poster board there, trying to, to explain exactly why and how and what it would do and what it won't do and why some shouldn't be upset about it. Here's a little sample. It remained positive to us intact. So I'll be signing uh, each of these three bills in their entirety. Uh, we believe they fulfilled the criteria that we set going forward, and so I'm going to sign these. I'll sign them in the law, and then after that I'll obviously um, have a few comments and then take some questions. So. So now he's going to do some of the signing right now. Of course, we don't know which three he's talking about, but I think you can guess, especially we know for sure the early voting that he will sign that, that right. would make that uniform across the state.
0: Right. And yes. And again, the, the, it, it is sort really of interesting because the, the backdrop is he has this big poster that, that's like, I guess it, it's a Venn diagram is, is what it is, but it's the, the poster's kind of like like flopping around. I, I would have thought, okay, well, if we're going to have like a show and tell, yep you know, whatever, but... But he's trying to ex- explain why this isn't really that big a deal, and we'll we'll continue to we'll continue to monitor that all right four one four seven nine nine one six twenty the the big story out of Washington, and I don't know that there is anybody that is surprised about this, but now it is becoming more and more apparent that President Trump was what's the phrase i'm looking for? not truthful when he denied knowing that money was paid. Ultimately, through his attorney, Michael Cohen, to the National Enquirer to buy stories of women who claim that they had sexual relations with Donald Trump to try to kill those stories to keep them from becoming public. For the longest time, President Trump has maintained, and he still, I guess, maintains, number one, that these, these affairs did not happen. And again, I, I'm not sure anybody really believes that. But number two, the second thing is that that he's always maintained that he he didn't know he wasn't around. He didn't know how this money got paid to these different women and things like that. This is it, it, it completely new. And I don't think anybody believes him on that either. The question becomes, though, does anybody care and. A number of people, including people who are pretty much campaign finance experts, don't believe that this is a violation of campaign finance laws. In order to, you know, prove those, what you have to prove, number one is somebody knowingly and intentionally tried to avoid campaign finance laws. And the in in the Trump the case of Trump, my guess is. There were multiple reasons why this money was paid. I just, I don't think this is going to ultimately be a crime. And I, I candidly, I don't think that most people really care about this one way or another. Here's one of our texts I could care less about this. All I want in my president is a good economy, strong world views and one where you can find keeping the peace in the nation the rest of that is a circus and it's irrelevant another text i don't care about this i don't care about the Mueller investigation it just needs to all go away so we can concentrate on being a country that is respected not completely ridiculed and laughed at i think the vast majority of people are at that point Interestingly enough, when Tom Barrett, the Milwaukee mayor, when he was in with uh, Steve Scafidi, that's one of the questions Steve asked was, you know, what do you think about what's going on in Washington? And before Tom Barrett was the mayor, he was, of course, served in Congress for four or five terms, five terms, I believe. And he was there during the impeachment of Clinton. And, you know, Barrett said, "I, I just I don't think that this is the way we want to spend the next couple years dealing with things like this. If there turns out to be evidence that Donald Trump, as a candidate, actually conspired with the Russian government to try to get him elected, I think that's one thing. But I don't think anybody believes that there is firm evidence establishing that. I candidly don't think it happened. And I guess my take on this is I I don't think this is going to be something that people are going to say, oh, we, we need to toss Donald Trump out of. Does it is it? Is it reflective of somebody's character? Well, well, absolutely. Just like the Monica Lewinsky thing was reflective of Bill Clinton's character, and the Paula Jones thing was reflective of Bill Clinton's character. Um, I understand all that, and I'm certainly not defending Donald Trump for the, these various indiscretions. I'm just saying I think at this point in 2018, this is not going to be something that brings down this administration. Yvonne in Milwaukee. Yvonne, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I do think it makes a difference. I don't think anyone that has no morals, no integrity, and no ethics should be sitting in the highest seat in this nation that, that has always been respected internationally, and has he's he's just made a farce of it. Mm-hmm. And that's my comment.
0: Well, well, but let me ask you this. Okay. That's the comment. So so what do we do? Do you think is this a basis to remove him from office um, over the course of the next two years?
2: I think he could be removed from office if he has done something illegally. Mm -hmm. He's not any different from any other human being. And I think people ought to think strongly About who they're going to vote for in the next election, no matter who it is or what party it is.
0: Well, that, see, Ivan. Or they
2: sign the voting sheet.
0: Yeah, well, Ivan, thanks for the call. See, and I, I think that is going to be how this plays out. I mean, keep in mind, you do have an election, you know, two years from now. I mean, you know, we're, we're, you know, two years from now, you're you're going to have that election and people are going to decide. And if Donald Trump decides that he wants to run for reelection, that, of course, is a factor that's going to play in. And I think that that's obviously all well and good. I guess my concern is over. I mean, here's the reality that the Republicans control the U.S. Senate. Donald Trump is absent Absence something that's not out there now uh, you know ev- hardcore evidence again of of a criminal conspiracy involving Russia or something like that that I don't believe exists he, he is not going to be removed from office so we can spend nine months or a year or a year and a half going through the impeachment process and we can have all this tawdry stuff that, that's out there and we can obsess on it I think that would be a mistake all around because it's ultimately not going to succeed it, it's just it's bread and circuses um, I I think candidly, if Democrats were smart, they would, you know, they would run on this. And in many cases, I would think that Democrats are probably going to want, would much rather have Donald Trump in office, given all the baggage he has in these things, than, um, than, you know, trying to remove him, which isn't going to work. Patty and Cudahy, Cudahy. Hi, Patty. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hi. I'm just, uh, I don't think anybody's really saying anything about impeaching him right now. I think, though, we got to stop with this deaf, dumb, and blind act and realize that our president has lied to the American people, numerously. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a matter of him being a liar. I think he has an inability to tell the truth, which is totally different.
0: You think he's a pathological liar?
2: I think he just can't tell the truth. He says whatever comes on the top of his head. He talks like an idiot. I, I just honestly don't get the death, dumb, and blind thing. I mean, one and one is still two. And well, I when think, you know something, you know it.
0: Well, I mean, thanks a call. No, I mean, I, I think, you know, if, if you go back to Donald Trump's history when he was a real estate developer and stuff, you, you go back, you read the book The Art of the Deal, um, Donald Trump has always presented himself as this ultimate salesman who – tells people what they want to hear or what they think is going to to help him. Elections have consequences. I, I say that a lot. He won in 2016. I don't think there's any basis to remove him, but I do think that this is going to be an issue moving forward if he were to run again. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, interesting Columns posted on JS Online by Milwaukee Journal columnist Jim Stingle raises a very interesting point, and I, I want to share it with you in in pertinent part. Here, here's the deal: There's a guy who has gone to the to the columnist, and and he has complained about the Milwaukee Bucks. Here, here's the deal: The Bucks um, bring in all sorts of different people to to sing or perform the national anthem, as do like many sports things. One of the things that they're doing, apparently, before a game in January against Utah, January 7th, what they're doing is they're, they have invited these musicians. So these are, these are kids, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They are all students at the Wisconsin Conservatory of, of Music. And they're, it's an orchestra. And they have invited the orchestra to come in and to perform the, the national anthem. All the kids are going to be playing violins, viol- violas, cellos, uh, so they've invited them to, to come in. You know, great opportunity. The, uh, so there'll be 30, I guess, kids from this class, so they have the opportunity. So here's what the, the Bucks have done. You've got the 30 young musicians who are going to be performing, and you have three teachers who are going to, you know, be there to act kind of as chaperones or things like that. The kids, and the three teachers all get free tickets. All get free tickets to sit in the lower bowl. Right. So what what the Bucks say is that if if you parents, if you want to accompany the, the kids to to the event. The kids get in for free, the teachers get in for free. The parents don't have to go, but the parents I mean you'd, you'd like to see your kid play, but you don't have to. They say, Well, here's the deal. We we will make seats available. Um, where the kids are sitting. And we're going to give you a group discount, but you you got to pay for the tickets. With the group discount, the seats in the lower bowl at Fiserv Forum, where the kids are going to be sitting for free, the, the tickets are 66 bucks a piece. So if you and your wife Want to get, go see your kid perform the national anthem and, and at the game? It's going to cost you 132 bucks. You're going to have to buy two tickets, 66 bucks apiece, but your kid gets in for free. And the guy has now gone to the Journal Sentinel columnist, and, and he's he's complaining. He says that this is um, I. He's, this is what he says in his email to Jim Stingle. I'm curious if you are interested in a story about the Milwaukee Bucks using child musicians to play the national anthem, but revealing to parents after they have signed up their kids that it will cost the parents sixty six dollars each to see their children perform, and claiming they are receiving a group rate. Why are multi billionaires who already received hundreds of millions of dollars from taxpayers Hoodwinking parents. All right. 414 799 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Now, here's the background of this. The Milwaukee Bucks are an extremely hot ticket. They are an extremely hot ticket. And, and you can argue that. That the prices that, you know, are charged for professional sports in general and the NBA in particular are kind of outrageous. You, you could, you could make that argument. But at the same time, to sit in the lower bowl, it, it costs, it costs a bunch of money. I mean, we've, we've talked about that on, on this program before, but that's the reality. I mean, people are paying that. So in this particular deal, the kids are going to be performing, which is an incredible honor and, and a treat. The kid gets the free ticket. There are teachers who get free tickets who go as chaperones, so mom and dad don't have to go. But if mom and dad want to go, they got to pay sixty-six dollars, which is a a discounted rate from what the seats would normally cost. But it's still sixty-six dollars a piece. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Are, are these? I mean, are these parents that are being hoodwinked? Is it unreasonable for the Bucks to say, all right, look, if, if you want to accompany your child, and again, you, you you don't have to go because there are chaperones and stuff, but if you want to go, you know, we expect you to pay for your tickets, and we're giving you a group rate on this because we could sell them to somebody else for more. Is that an unreasonable position for the Bucks to take? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 1620 That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment if you're on the line please hold on 1242 Jeff Wagner WTMJ another day another problem yep yep. another day another problem 1245 Jeff Wagner WTMJ if you're just tuning in um, Jim Stinkle who's a columnist for the journal Sentinel he's got this piece up there guy contacts him and complains long story short his two sons um, attend the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music um, 30 kids from that school have been invited to play in early January the national anthem, you know, before the, the Bucks play Utah. So there's 30 kids, there's three teachers. The Bucks have given all the kids and the three teachers free tickets to the game, lower bowl seats. And they've said to the parents, hey, you know, if you want to, you know, you can join them, you can sit in the same area, but you're, you're going to have to buy your tickets. They're 66 bucks a piece. That is apparently a discount over where they would normally be and this guy's calling up saying well this is terrible i don't think i should have to pay that kind of money for this 414-799-1620 let's start with molly in Walk molly you're on wtmj hi Jeff. hi molly
2: um i actually side with the bucks on this one we have a daughter who is a senior at the university of minnesota and she's in the marching band and they performed at the super bowl halftime show last year with justin timberlake If we wanted to go see her, we were going to have to buy Super Bowl tickets. (laughs) And the same thing goes with um, every single home Golden Gopher game. I mean, if we want to drive to Minneapolis and watch her perform... We have to buy tickets at the regular rate.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, in this particular case, my understanding is the Bucks are giving them some form, some sort of discount, too. I mean, it's it's I assume it's a group discount. I don't know how much these tickets would normally go for. But you don't think it's unreasonable to say if you want to sit with your kids and you want to watch this, your kids perform, that that you, you have to pay
2: for it? Well, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You should have to. I mean, as a parent. I mean every activity that our kids have ever participated in there's always some sort of fee there's always and as they get older there's always um some sort of financial investment on behalf of the parents to watch or or right. not participate but be be a part of what they're doing and to witness that right. so i don't think it's unreasonable right. and
0: here the parents i mean they don't have to go i mean the, the teachers are going as chaperone so if the parents were busy or whatever that the, the kid could still go and participate you know it's just if you want to see the kid perform live and you want to sit with the kid for the game then you have to go then you have to pay
2: absolutely and you know if the bucks had some other way where they had a section where the parents could just stand and watch and then leave right after the performance but i have to believe there's all kinds of codes around fire exits and where people are standing and that's just not reasonable for the size group they have
0: well also i mean i think that the kids that perform want to stay and see the game too i mean that's you know it's not even just go i mean i think the idea is just go have the whole experience okay thanks to call molly says no problem dan in walk dan you're on wtmj good afternoon
3: my call. Um, yeah,
4: you know, it's one dollar or a million dollars. I would pay anything to see my child perform at you know it, at that kind of level, that kind of song. I mean, that's kind of a right. once in a lifetime kind of thing. So, you know, I, I not not calling you know the, the original person uh, a bad parent by saying, it's, right, you know, irrational. But me, me being a parent, I, I would I would go, you
0: right. know. It, so it would be, be well worth it to you
4: I could do. absolutely 100 that it, it, not right. only is it meaningful for the kid but it's meaningful to see you know what you invested in right as as a parent you know succeed and i think watching my kids succeed as they grow older is probably right. the happiest thing that i can i can say that i've experienced
0: god okay well thanks for the call dan i appreciate it 414 chris in waukesha chris you're on wtmj good afternoon hello hi chris what do you think
5: i think that i would pay anything to see my child participate however what is reasonable
4: not everybody can afford that right and i i would think that you should be able to see your child perform but you
5: shouldn't get a free ride to see the game so see your child perform and then leave after they performed, and you didn't pay to see the game.
0: Okay, let them in to see it. Thanks for Well, let me let me give you a variation of that. If if you can't tell, I don't think the Bucks are the bad guys in this situation. I mean, first of all, they're giving the kids an opportunity to do something that they will remember their whole life. They're giving, and again, they're giving the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music. They're, they're giving them all sorts of free publicity and stuff, and and they're giving the kids and the teachers. Free tickets. So it's not like like they're making them pay for the opportunity. They're giving away 33 seats. Now, I don't think, I mean, given the fact that you could sell, and again, the Bucks are a really hot ticket. Given the fact that you could sell those those seats in the lower bowl, probably for a lot more than $66, I mean, I, I think they deserve a little bit of credit. Sometimes this is like no good deed goes unpunished. They're giving away 33 seats. So, all right let let's say what what do you do and I, I let me just bootstrap on something that that chris was just saying well all right nothing there's nothing that says for example that you if you think sixty six dollars is is too rich a price to sit in in the lower bowl with your kids, there but you still want to see him perform, there. There's nothing that says that you can't go on on StubHub or something. I mean, I don't know if there's tickets available. Sit in the lower, you know, sit in the upper deck. I mean, sit in the nosebleed seats. My guess is you can find something up there. For a lot less than sixty six dollars you know, they're not going to be as good as seats and, and yeah, you won't be sitting with your kid in the free seats you know during watching the game, but you'll be able to get in, you'll be able to to watch the game. I mean to me, I, I guess that's the thing if if you think that sixty six bucks is too rich, all right, well then then don't sit in the sixty six dollar seats. like I say, my guess is you can find something cheaper. That you know, allows you to get in the building and still watch and then you hook up with your kid at halftime, you hook up after the game or or whatever. You can still participate if, if you think it's too rich. I guess I just I lumped the story in that, that no good deeds goes unpunished because the Bucks they're giving away a bunch of tickets. Look, and I, I've i criticized decisions that the Bucks have made, you know, in the past. So it's not that, but I'm sitting there thinking, okay, they're, they're giving your child, number one, the opportunity to perform, something that he will always remember. And number two, they're giving your kid, in this case, it's two brothers, they're giving them both, you know, free tickets to the ball game in pretty good seats in the lower bowl. If you want to go with the kids, all right, fine, you can make that decision. If not, the kids can still perform, you can stay home. Or again, plan B would or plan C would be find some cheaper seats somewhere, sit in the upper deck, and then hook up. I, I just I don't think the Bucks are the bad guys in this particular situation. Twelve fifty two, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You can read more about this. It's Jim Singles Column at JS Online. Twelve fifty-five, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thirty-seven degrees outside. Follow-up to something we talked a little bit about yesterday. One of the things that you're seeing is, is crime in Milwaukee, particularly juvenile crime in Milwaukee. One of the phenomena over the last couple of years is it is starting to bleed out into the, the suburbs. You had this story about a week and a half ago about all the break-ins of cars in Menominee Falls. Uh, cars that, who who's, were unlocked in people's own driveways. And I think the story, 10 or 15 cars were broken into. One guy had left his wallet in his car with his car unlocked, and the wallet had a whole bunch of money in it, which, you know, you go, okay, who leaves their wallet in the car, number one? And number two, then who leaves the car unlocked? But, but what was interesting to me about that story is if you have 10 or 15 cars that are, are broken into because they're unlocked, that means... That you have number one the criminals and my guess is they're juveniles. They're so brazen that they're they're walking up people's driveways. These aren't cars that are left out on the street. These are cars that in the driveway. Matter of fact, the guy whose wallet was stolen he, he had a relatively long driveway. The car was up by the garage. So n- number one, you have people who are brazen enough that they are going to you know go into people's driveways. And number two. The the reports were there were 10, 15 cars where the doors were unlocked and and they were illegally entered. Well, that means, my guess is, if you find 10 or 15 cars unlocked, this roving band of punks, thugs, thieves, whatever, they they probably went to one or 200 different cars. I mean that I, I don't know, but I mean you you just know that the first thirteen cars you go to aren't all going to be unlocked. You know that they were going up into people's driveways completely without fear of being caught or whatever. And and I'm like, all right, this is this is a problem because these are now starting to again, the criminal activity is starting to bleed into, you know, other areas in the suburbs. Well then there was the story last Saturday afternoon that caught my attention and should catch yours. Another story out of Menominee Falls, a Woman. Now, this is two o'clock in the afternoon, on Saturday. She pulls into her driveway. She is getting out of her car, and these two people approach her and they they attack her. They they grab her car, her purse, as she's getting out of her car at two o'clock. On a Saturday afternoon in her own driveway. Ultimately they end up running away. They got into a, there's a, a car driven by a third person. The car had been stolen a couple hours earlier outside of Milwaukee. So that was that was the story, and we talked about it from that perspective. The, this they have a surveillance photo. There was a photo of the driveway. And I commented at the time that the two kids who were stealing the the, the two people are stealing their purse They looked to me like they were maybe 15 years old. They looked to me, and I'm thinking, okay, 15-year-olds that are now out in Menominee Falls, and they're strong-armed robbing a woman at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, as it turns out, um, I was wrong. I was wrong. They weren't 15. The police are saying they believe the kids are between the ages of, wait for it, 10 and 13. You've got 10 and 11-year-olds. Or 13-year-olds that are now attacking women in Menominee Falls as they are getting out of their cars. 10, 11, 12, 13. Not pictured in the surveillance video is the woman who they think was was driving the stolen car, an Hispanic female, approximately 4'9 to five, one, very skinny, very petite, with black hair pulled back into two buns on the top of her head. My guess is she's probably 14 or 15 too, driving the stolen car. They say, yeah. I mean, so you've got, you've got three kids who my guess is aren't even old enough to drive, who are in a stolen car, strong armed robbing a woman in a driveway in Menominee Falls at two o'clock in the afternoon. And you, you don't think you have a crime problem in this region? Huh. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, you know what I'm going to do um, at the start of the two o'clock hour? What's you know that? what i feature? All right. I do this maybe once or twice a year, maybe once a year, sometimes once every couple years. I, I believe that one of the reasons that I, I get paid to do my job is that it's, it's my job to find things that interest me. And that then hopefully will interest you, interest anybody that's listening. Sure. So, I mean, it, 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 it's driven, the, the topics are driven by what I find to be interesting and things like that. Um, every once in a while, and the 2 o'clock at 2.05, one, one of them is, I, I, I turn it over to everybody else. And I, I do my segment called I Was Wondering, which, because I fully understand that maybe there, there's something that, that somebody really wants to talk about that I've just never gotten around to. And since this is my last show before the holiday mm-hmm, break, mm-hmm. I we're, we're going to do 30 minutes before Pop Culture Corner on, on I Was Wondering, where people can call up and, and they, they get to decide what they want. Anything Jeff, goes. Jeff, I was wondering blank. You know, I was wondering why you don't talk about this. I was wondering what you think about this you know i we're well i, I won't say necessarily anything goes <laughs> What your paycheck but, is but, well <laughs> yeah but but i mean but we're going to do an, an i was wondering segment Excellent. so Excellent. you know people can start thinking about that because again we're going to do that and in lead into pop culture corner so it's it's you if, if there's stuff that you've heard about over the course of the last year i was wondering why you don't talk about this or i was wondering what you think this is going to go or i was wondering i heard you make this reference or i was wondering you know what what's your niece doing now whatever th- those type of
1: stuff We'll we're going to do that in an Hour. maybe so, i'll chime in maybe i'll call in all
0: right well you, you don't even have to call in you can just kind of come <laughs> in as long as you're not telling me that there's another traffic delay somewhere That's, <laughs> I, I promise was, nothing right okay. i promise nothing. got it but we're going to do that um, like i said right after the two o'clock news we'll, we'll do a segment or two i was wondering so if there's something that you have been wondering think about that and you want to ask me i'll give you that opportunity uh, coming up after the two o'clock news all right let us go back to something that governor walker did th- this afternoon. Uh, in one of the things that he signed into law was a modification to the, the state's early voting law. Now let me review the the bidding here quickly with a little bit of background and then we're going to talk about this. It always used to be a number of years ago in Wisconsin that you had to vote on election day. However, if you were either if you were unable to vote on election day, you could sign a certification and you could get an absentee ballot through the mail or whatever that you could fill out and you could send back. We changed that law a number of years ago. So now you don't have to be unable to vote on Election Day. You have to be either unable or unwilling to vote on Election Day, which means that you can pretty, you know, anybody say, I, I don't want to. I'm unwilling to vote on the Election Day, but I want to vote. Let me vote earlier. So you have now early voting. And now it's not just mail in absentee ballots. It is in person It is an in-person early voting where the polls open up um, beforehand. Now, on Election Day, there are uniform times that polls can be open. Polls across the state of Wisconsin open at 7 and they close at 8. The city of Milwaukee, for example, on Election Day can't decide to open the polls at 6 and close the polls at 10. Waukesha can't decide to open the polls at noon and close the polls at five. The state law for state elections has got to be uniform. The polls are open for the same amount of time all around the state. A couple years ago, the legislature passed a law which would require uniform early voting. Hours as well. In other words, if you're going to be if we're going to have polls that are going to be open two weeks before the election, say, well, the, the, there, there, there had to be certain limits. You couldn't have polling places in Waukesha open eight weeks before the election, and you couldn't have polling places in Sturdivant open two weeks before the election. The thinking was that that's just unfair. It's unfair to people in one particular community where you have the polls that are going to be open for a lot longer than the polls that are going to be open somewhere else. So the legislature passed a law saying you have to have uniform voting. That law limited uniform voting to approximately two weeks before the election and limited it to weekdays. It was challenged in federal court. A federal judge out of Madison struck that down struck down the law saying he thinks he thought that it was unduly restrictive. Two weeks and no weekend voting and no evening voting. That case has been on appeal for the better part of a couple years. So we don't know what the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit is going to do. But... One of the things that a lot of legal experts think is that one of the reasons that might justify striking down that uniform uniform voting ordinance is the fact that it didn't allow evening voting and it didn't allow weekend voting. All right. That's that was one of the flaws. So in this recently completed extraordinary session, the legislature really kind of cleaned that law up. And so they have now passed a law which says that early voting can essentially be 13 days before the election. And you can have evenings, you can have weekends, but it can't be any more than that. The Early voting limit would allow local governments to allow at most 13 days of early voting in the two weeks before the election day. There are no limits on that now. And as we know, Madison and Milwaukee, the state's, biggest cities and of course where there's all the democrat turnout um they allowed their polling places to be open for six weeks six weeks all right 414-799-1620 that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line this new law again it limits it to 13 days before the election but it does allow for weekends and it does allow for evenings i don't want to i i I don't want to make a prediction on whether or not this satisfies the the liberal federal judge in Madison or ultimately satisfy the Seventh Circuit or the Supreme Court if that case goes up. So that's something that the courts are going to decide. But what I want to talk to you about is do you have a problem with the issue of uniformity? Essentially saying... We're not going to let Milwaukee and Madison or Waukesha or anybody, you know, it's not fair in a statewide election to allow some places to have the polls open for six weeks ahead of time where they have the resources, for example, to pay for the clerks and all that type of stuff. And smaller communities that can't afford that, they can't do it. So this would make uniform the times and the timing of which early voting could be allowed. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Do you have an issue with this? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss in just a minute. It's one seventeen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One nineteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, happy
3: holidays. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, sir. You and your family. Uh, yes, my my point is is that you can't compare Milwaukee to Middleton or or Madison to to, to, uh, to uh, Milwaukee. Oconomowoc. It, 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 the, the population is just it, it just out of whack on, on each issue, and, and and if the if Milwaukee or Madison taxpayers uh, want to pay for that extra time, I think they should be able able to do that to vote.
0: Okay, let me ask you. All right, then what about election day? If Milwaukee wanted to open the polls at 4 a.m. and keep them open to 11 p.m. instead of 7 to 8 p.m.? Should they be able to do that? No. Well, what's no. the difference?
3: I, I think I think the difference is, is that, that that's more of a federal situation and mm. so and then a state. Uh, most polls are open from 7 to 7 in the morning to 8 around the country. But when you look at urban areas around the country and you see the lines, that are basically around the corner because of the number, the population of, of, of those particular areas. It, it, it is difficult to get people. Why do you want to restrict people from having the opportunity to vote? I, well, I think you would say you want more opportunity to allow people to vote because, you know. Well, do
0: it, you need, should democracy. we have, should we have, well, should we have equal opportunity to vote? For example, let's say the new mayor of the city of Milwaukee decides that, you know what, be, I, it's, we, we can't afford to have these different polling places open, so we're gonna we're gonna only open up voting two weeks beforehand. But somebody, let's say the clerk of courts in Waukesha decides, you know what? I mean, I, I think we should make it as easy as possible to vote. So we're gonna be open for six weeks, All right? Would that be fair?
3: That would be fair. I think it's great if if those taxpayers are willing to pay for that and, and willing to say, hey, this is this is what we want. In that particular municipality, I think they should have it. It, it should be. It, it should. just allowed them to have it.
0: Okay. Thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. In all honesty, Vince, I'm not. I'm. I, I, I then I, I don't understand. Uh, again, then why why do we have uniform closing on on election day? I mean it's. I mean if it's a statewide election, um, and we don't have uniform. Now look, you you can argue. You know you can argue, I think that as to what the reasonable time is, maybe six weeks is too long, maybe two weeks is too short, but I guess if it's a statewide election, the idea that polls can be open in one community for a different length of time and polls can be open in a different community, to me, i got to be honest, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think there needs to be some sort of standard time that's out there. 414-799-1620, Jeff in Burlington. Jeff, you're on WTMJ.
4: Yeah, you just kind of stole my thunder there, Jeff, uh, with asking about what the reasonable time frame would be. Um, why six weeks? Why not make it? And I'm being facetious here. Why not six months? You know, I, yeah, or, or why, the, why
0: not two morbid? days after the primary election? Right. Whenever exactly. I mean, so you got a why primary election vote? in August. Yeah. You know, why? Why not? You know, September, October, November. You know, why not? Why not eight weeks? Why not ten weeks? Whatever. Why yeah.
4: can't? Why can't we go in tomorrow and vote for the 2020 elections? You know, it's. it's and I'm exaggerating there, right. obviously. But at what point isn't there some onus on the voter? To take the responsibility to get to the polls on election day, and except for extraordinary circumstances with absentee balloting.
0: well or, or a reasonable period beforehand yeah. I mean, and thanks for the call. again I see I just again to me, the argument is for uniformity it's a, it's a statewide election. Now if we were talking about municipal elections, you know if it was just the city of Milwaukee, then I don't care because then you know it's it's just the city of Milwaukee so I think the city of Milwaukee should have great latitude in deciding all right how are we going to have the, the polls open but it but it's not just a citywide election these are statewide elections and I, I'm, I'm sorry I just have issues with why should somebody who uh, again lives in one community why should they have? A, a greater access to be able to go in and vote than somebody who lives in another community. And look, and I, I understand that you talk about you know the the population being different, but at the same time, there, there's a I will tell you there's there's a lot more polling places that are open say in the city of Milwaukee because of population than there are in I don't know pick pick a you know a small town in in Brown County. I mean there's so yes it, it's true that there's more people, but there's also lots more polling places. Let's talk to Dennis in McGuanagoe. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: It, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. You know, I, I am a poll worker. And, as a matter of fact, I took the training to do the poll work for the early elections this year, okay? Right. And the site that I, I normally work at on, on the election days is uh, the, the high school uh, okay. on the south side here. Uh, okay. Uh, it escapes me right now. But anyway, South Division, South Division High School. And so I said, well, okay, if I'm going to help with the elections, I'd like to stay in that area. They had just a, the library uh, to Mitchell Street. And they said, well, we're going to have one at Mitchell Street. Fine, I'll do it there. The young lady who was, <laughs> who was coordinating the staffing for that, she had to call me most every day to tell me, you know, we really don't need you. To the point where I finally said, you know what, I know you're having a hard time and you're trying to please everybody. Just don't call me unless you do need me. Right. Okay? And, and I, I went the entire early election cycle without having worked at all. I stopped in there one day, and they were telling me they, they only had a handful of people. So that's where I did early vote because I worked the polls, and I wanted to make sure I was able to get my vote in. But having said all that, what doesn't make sense to me is is that what you used to have to try to do it one day right? with the exception of a, you know, a number of people who couldn't. We're going to give you 13 days, and you can't make that? In my estimation, if you can't make that in those 13 days, plus the day of, then you're not trying. You right. really and, don't want to.
0: Right. And you can always, you know, you can order an absentee. If, 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 for example, you're out of town or whatever, you're you're on some trip or whatever, exactly. you're for those I first two weeks, going, Right, yeah. you, you can request an absentee ballot and you can send it in by exactly. mail. I mean, so you have that. No, thanks. I mean, that's, that's the question. Do you need six weeks? And, again, I, I think... That's where I first of all I, I think it ha- I really do believe it has to be uniform. I mean the idea that polls are open in one community for a statewide election longer than they are open in another community. I just think it's I'm sorry, I just think it's fundamentally wrong. Kathy on the West Side. Kathy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was telling you screener, I've lived in Milwaukee now for roughly fifty years. And I've been voting every election, and I have never, ever waited more than 10 minutes to vote in any of the elections. Mm-hmm. And there's never been more than just a few people ahead of me. I grew up in a small town where I actually did have to wait much longer um, the first few elections I voted in. So right. more than two weeks really is kind of... Silly. And besides which, all those phone calls that you keep getting from the robocalls, like vote early, are right. annoying. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, th- again, I don't,
0: I don't have. I mean, early voting is is a convenience. I'm not anti early voting, but I do think it needs to be standardized, and that's that's what they're doing now. I understand. Look, I didn't just fall off the turnip truck. I I get what is going on here. The reason Tony Evers is governor is because you had an enormous turnout of Democrats in Milwaukee and in Dane counties. that That's, you know, the state is geographically is overwhelmingly Republican, but you have these two Democratic strongholds, and, you know, in those Democratic strongholds, people The Democrats had a much greater opportunity to go to the polls and vote than everybody else across the state did. So, I mean, I understand Republicans are probably smarting from some of that. There's there's no question about it. But at the same time, again, I I try to reverse this. If this were Waukesha that decided, hey, you know, we want to try to juice up Republican turnout. So we're going to have the polls open for eight weeks. And Milwaukee would say, we can't find people to do that, or there's not enough money. You know if the situation reversed, people would be screaming, oh, they're just trying to boost Republican turnout, how awful these Republicans are. You need a standardized time. Will this get past the liberal federal judge in Madison? I don't know. Will something like this ultimately be upheld by the Supreme Court? My guess would be yes. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 139, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so very glad to have you with us. All right, Here is the, here's the deal. We all depend on our cell phones, and there is nothing more, fr- I mean, I don't know, I don't find there to be anything more frustrating than when you're out and about... And you want to, I don't know, access the Internet or try to make a call or something like that, and you can't get service. It's like, what's going on here? This is America. It's 2018. We put a man on the moon, despite what Steph Curry says. We put a man on the moon in 1969, and now I I can't make a phone call. Okay, it is extremely frustrating. Well, sometimes when that happens... It is because you are out of range of a cell phone tower, right? And that's the reality. If we are going to be able to use our cell phones, you need to have ways that that signal gets to your phone. And that, for most cases, means cell phone towers. Well, the problem, of course, is that in some areas, particularly if they're neighborhoods or things like that, people don't want to have the cell phone towers up. They're unsightly. Uh, maybe there's concerns about, gee, are there going to be radio waves or something, but, but people don't like cell phones. You like to use it, but it's kind of like sausage. You know, you, you like to eat the sausage, but you really don't want to see the sausage being made. So here's the deal. U S cellular needs to put a 120 foot cell tower up in Menominee falls. And so what they originally did is they said, okay, well, here's what we want to do. We want to put it up at the firehouse. All right, 120 foot pole near near a fire station on on Lily Road, and so the village president and a lot of people started objecting to that. No, 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 we don't want it at the the firehouse. So they said, all right, tell you what we're going to do. We'll you, you don't want it at the firehouse. Here's what we'll do. We'll we'll build. We'll buy some land, and we'll put it on, on a on a private site, and then the village said, nope, we're not going to give you a permit to to build this tower on this private property on Appleton Avenue and Lily Road. We're, we're not going to give you a conditional use permit, so you can't do that. Go back and work it out with a firehouse. So they go back, and they apparently um, worked out a tentative agreement to put the tower at the fire station again. So what happens then is a number of residents – Find out about this. They're going to put a tower at the fire station. We don't want this here. It's unsightly, et cetera, et cetera. And so they sort of storm Village Hall. And at a meeting, the uh, village board says, no, we're not going to approve this. We're not going to let this go on. All right, well, well, here's the problem with this. Because cell phone towers affect more than just a particular local community. And because we all have an interest in being able to use our our cell phones, the decision on where cell phone towers go is not up to exclusively an individual community. Matter of fact, these are governed by, these decisions are governed by federal and by state law. And federal and state law says, okay, a community can't reject a can't reject the cell phone tower based on things like aesthetics, appearance, public safety, or or height. matter of fact, it's very, very limited on, on why you can say no. And it's also very clear that Menominee Falls, the people out there rejected these cell phone towers because they didn't like the appearance. They didn't like the height, et cetera, et cetera. So they've said no. U.S. Cellular is now turned around and U.S. Cellular is, is suing. Um, Menominee Falls over their decision to to reject the tower. And they're saying, hey, look, the village acted unlawfully when you didn't let us put th- this tower up there. All right. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I, I, here's some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer, and I don't claim to be an expert in this area of law. I think U.S. Cellular has a very, very strong claim, given what the state of the law is. Local communities have very, very limited ability to say no to these cell phone towers. And it's very clear to me what happened in Menominee Falls is you had all sorts of people that showed up and they stormed City Hall, and they pressured their the, the Village Board, and the Village Board didn't want to irritate the people that vote for them, so they turned it down. And so, I mean, I, I understand the politics of what happened. Ultimately, when it gets to court, I don't think they're go- that, that denial is going to be upheld. But maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, you never guess what judges or appeals courts or the Supreme Court is going to ultimately do. But here's what I think is the more interesting question. Should local communities have more authority to say whether a cell phone tower goes in their community or not? Because like I say, right now, the law makes it. I don't want to say impossible, but nearly impossible, or at least very difficult to turn down a cell phone, uh, a cell phone tower, because, again, the overall community. It's not just Menominee Falls. That might be where the tower is. But there's all sorts of people who have an interest in being able to get cell phone service. So were the people of Menominee Falls wrong? Were they wrong in saying No. Should they ultimately be the ones that decide whether or not U.S. Cellular gets to put up a tower in their backyards? 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, with all due respect, I think Menominee Falls is going to lose this as it moves through. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I think they're going to lose. I think they're on very, very shaky legal grounds. I think what happened is, again, the elected officials decided, oh, my gosh, people are mad. We don't want them mad at us. We'll say no. I I think that's probably a an incorrect legal position but i want to talk about should they i mean should they have the right to say no we don't want to sell tower here um the feds the state government shouldn't be able to make us let's start with tony in menominee falls tony you're on wtmj tony
4: hello hi tony you're on the air hey yeah i just wanted to comment i live in the falls here and um uh, I heard you say that, uh, that that the cell tower is supposed to be 120 feet. Right. I don't think people really realize uh, what 120 feet is. Look out in your yards. Those trees that you see, those elms, they're about 50 feet high. So this is a little over twice as high. Mm-hmm. You won't be able to see a, a cell tower, uh, you know, for uh, like over two blocks away. So as far as it being aesthetically unappealing, uh, I don't think that's the case at all. Mm-hmm. I think they're totally time to put it there.
0: Well, yeah, and, and see, and the bottom line of this is we we need cell towers. <laughs> see, that's, that, 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 it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you need, you need wider roadways some places, and you need spaces to put firehouses and police stations. Sometimes you need these things for the public good, and, um, yeah, you, you're saying that you don't even think it's that big of a deal aesthetically, huh?
4: No, not at all. I mean, a tree is actually about 50 feet high, an elm. So this is about twice as high. Right. This is not like you're driving up to Fond du Lac and you look to the left side of the, the interstate and you see all these huge wind, windmills. Right. That are like I believe they're like 300 feet tall or something.
0: Right. And are making noise and are, are killing birds and things like that. Yeah. Right.
4: I mean, you won't really see that. I mean, think about it. When you got everything around you. I mean, it's only it's only like 120 feet. That's really not that high.
0: Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Here's a text: Cities should, w- um, uh, da, 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 da. cities should want towers to guarantee coverage for the residents. I would ask opponents how much Verizon is paying them to shill against uh, U.S. Cellular. I, I don't, I don't know any of that. But, no, but I get what is going on here. You, you have. It's it's the not in my backyard. It's the NIMBY stuff. No offense to people who are living in Menominee Falls. It's like, well, we don't want this giant tower because we think it's unsightly. Now, now, Tony disagrees with the idea of unsightly, but I think it's we think it's going to be unsightly, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, that, that's all well and good, but that's not a basis for saying no because collectively – We recognize that you need Internet service. You need cell phone service across the country. And if you let every individual community make the decision to say, well, we're not going to allow it here or we're not going to allow it there. Well, pretty soon, I don't know, you'd have people who are complaining that we got no cell phone service. But you'd also say there's no places for these towers to be. Again, I think it's one of these situations where. The decision in Menominee Falls, I I get it. You had the populace that kind of revolted against this. But the bottom line is, uh, I think maybe you should be listening. I don't know if the city attorney has taken a position on this, but this is one where whatever you think it might be, and even if you think that you should be able to have control over what goes up in your particular area, when it comes to cell phone towers, there's not that uniform authority, and maybe Menominee Falls wants to take a hard look at this before they spend a whole bunch of legal fees. Again, I don't know how court cases are going to work out, but U.S. Cellular has sued, and bottom line is they – um I, I think that they've – it's more than a frivolous lawsuit. Let me put it like that. 11-11-148, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One fifty-one, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here the text. My name is Rick. The problem is these groups, and he's referring to people who, for example, like the folks in Menominee Falls that were protesting the cell phone tower. My name is Rick. The problem is these groups are small, but a very vocal minority. They may not reflect the actual wishes of the majority in the village. Well, yeah, that's the that's kind of the question. But at the same time, I understand the village board. If you show up and you have all these people that are angry and they're screaming about this cell phone tower, even even if it's probably Not legal. I don't know. You don't want to be the one that makes a decision that hacks off these angry vocal protesters. Here's an interesting text. Jeff, when I am at home, I do not have cell service. I have to go three-eighths of a mile from home to get service. I have to have a landline in case of emergency. You know what, though? I like this arrangement. My cell phone goes nuts sometimes. When I go to town, I like having the quiet at home. Hmm. I like having a cell phone that doesn't work at home. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, I understand that my, I guess my advice would be I would rather have a cell phone that works at home so I can use it when I need it. And then if I don't want to be bothered, I turn it off or I turn it to vibrate or, or something like that. I, I, I mean, I, I think the bottom line is most of us. Most of us want to have service for our cell phones, and again, I understand that some people want to have the landlines as well, or they prefer the landlines. But yeah, I think I think working cell phones is in fact important. The, I was going to open up the phone lines and do this as a full blown topic, but sometimes I feel that we've we, we just we talk about these issues this time of year all the time, and it's year after year it doesn't change. There is a, a city in Washington State for the last. Let me see how it, the last. Several The last 40 years, there's been this family that sets up a, a manger, um, a nativity scene, a manger, baby Jesus, Joseph, Mary, three wise men, an angel, and several genuflecting animals. So they've they've set this up, it's a quite nice display, and they've set this up in, in a public park. They've been doing this for 40 years, and people, generally speaking, love it. People in the neighborhood love it, they love seeing this. Well, they've had to now remove it after 40 years, because again, a handful of, of people, and I, I think it sounds like it's like two or three people, started complaining regularly about the fact that there was this manger and the nativity scene that was up there. And they said, okay, since we got the complaints, we we talked to the city attorney, and the city attorney says, well, if we keep this up there, these folks are going to sue us, and then we're going to have to spend money, and maybe we're going to win, maybe we're we're not. So let's just ask them to take it down. So for the first time in 40 years, there's no nativity scene in this public park. One of the reasons I was so glad to see a couple new appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court is I think it's important once and for all to get these kind of cases out of the way. In my opinion, it is not a violation of the doctrine of separation of church and state, the First Amendment. It's not a violation to allow a manger to be placed in a public park. I just don't believe it is, but you need a case from the Supreme Court to say that. And I hope, 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 hope that over the next year or two, a case like this, now in this particular case, the city caved in to the people who were complaining, but I hope a case like this ends up in front of the U.S. Supreme Court so the U.S. Supreme Court can once and for all say, you know, for all these people who just obsess with the separation of church and state, having, for example, a display like this up in a public park It is fine because it is not an endorsement of a government-sponsored religion. Just saying. It's one fifty-five. when we come back. I do this maybe once a year, maybe once every two years. Have we done one since you've been? uh All right. Gru, my producer, says, last year at this time. All right. I called the segment I was wondering. For most of the year, I'm the one that I – get to pick the topics, and I get to tell you what I think about stuff. If there was something that you were wondering about, why don't we talk about this? What do you think about this, Jeff? It's going to be your chance. I was wondering, coming up in just a few minutes. Stick around. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, as I said earlier, this is my last radio show of the year, No, I'm not sick, not getting fired, not going anywhere, but um, I'm taking the last two weeks off, have some vacation accumulated, so um, I'm not going to be back till I think, January 2nd or whatever. So we're doing some fun things, and this segment, I do this maybe once a year. People ask for it, and I'm reluctant to do it because sometimes I I think part of what I get paid for is to try to find things that are of interest to you and then talk about them. But uh, this segment it's i call it i was wondering and i mean i know there's a lot of times that maybe you see a story that you're interested in and and we don't end up talking about it so you, you can th- this is your your segments i was wondering and we can talk about news of the day if there's something else you were wondering that's okay 414-799-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text not text line what are you wondering okay our first one this is pretty easy jeff I was wondering, how long is the Christmas program this year, the WTMJ? Well, I don't know if they're referring to the WTMJ Christmas program um, or the night before Christmas, which airs for the first time this Saturday. It's two hours, four to six, or whether they're referring to our Jeff Wagner Christmas program, which um, will air Christmas morning. Um, That's an hour long. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jane on the south side. Hi, Jane. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hi, Jeff. I was wondering what you thought about the postal worker thief only getting probation.
0: I thought it was appalling. What did you think?
2: I did, too. I, I was so mad when I read that.
0: Well, you know, oh. it, it, it's interesting. You know, I used to work in the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the the instances of people, of postal employees stealing is very, very rare. It, it doesn't happen a lot. But I, I always firmly believe that when you caught somebody who did it, for just the deterrent effect alone you know just just to say to other postal employees you're not you know we don't want you stealing you have to send people to to prison maybe not for 20 years but you know you you can't just slap them on the wrist and say you're going to lose your job don't do it again that's not enough
2: no and she was doing it for a year she admits
0: that um yeah no thanks thanks for calling no i right that was matter of fact it's interesting that you brought that up jane because that was a topic that i i kind of had put aside and and didn't didn't end up getting to. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, that's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What what are you wondering? Ask anything. Comment about anything. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm just wondering if you realize that those relatively recent T V shows you like to binge watch on streaming services have many fewer episodes per season than the classic network T V shows of our youth. Shows today are typically from eight to twenty four episodes per season. Um many 12 to 15, but shows made in the 50s and 60s often had 40-plus episodes. Imagine the number of hours that would be required to stream some of these. Yeah, actually, that's a very good point. If you look at, and it's one of the reasons, candidly, I think you see a lot of the quality that you see on some of these shows that are produced for, for cable or for Netflix or for something like that because it, you, you've got a season Better Call saw. OK, 10, 10 episodes. It's a lot easier to if you've got a story that you're going to tell to come up with plot lines and drama. It's just easier to concentrate on, say, 10 episodes. And it is to do 20 or 30 or 35 like they produced with the in the I Love Lucy days. So I, I think, you know, the, the limited run series makes it easier to produce quality television. 414 1620 Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ.
3: Jeff,
4: Merry Christmas to you, Drew, and everybody else. Yes, sir. Um, I've been listening to the radio promo that Mr. Mercure has about his, his cruise to um, Australia, I think it is. Right. And and I can't help but wondering if he is actually cuddled with a koala.
0: <laughs> okay. I I have not heard that. Is that, is, is that what he is implying?
4: Well, it kind of is implied in, in the, the promo. Uh-huh. I've actually heard that they can be rather unpleasant. But if Mr. Mercure has ever said something to you like, I, "Hey Jeff, I cuddled with this really awesome koala bear," I, no, or koala over, you know, <laughs> I would change that perception. Uh,
0: no, th- thanks for calling, Jeff. No, I, I, I cannot say that. John Mercure and I are, are pod. Buddies, which is, you know, where we sit in programming. His his cube is is right next to mine and we discuss many things. But if you were wondering whether John McCure and I have ever, ever, ever spoken about cuddling with koalas, the answer would be no. All right, let's go back to the text line. Um Jeff, I was wondering what has Charlie Sykes been up to? Well. Well that that's an interesting question. I don't really um see my friend and former colleague Charlie that that much i mean he's um he's a contributor to the weekly standard which just announced today that they were going to cease publication effective uh the 17th i i believe um charlie he's he's still you know writing and i he you, he pops up on msnbc All the time. So, Charlie has not gone away. He doesn't, of course, do the the daily radio stuff anymore, but, you know, he's still around. If you tune into MSNBC, you will see him. Jeff, I got a personal question. What is your game of choice when you go to Vegas? All right. If you go to Las Vegas and I am out there, you will, uh, you will see me. First of all, you'll find me in the sports book. I'm a horse player, so I will spend hours and hours whiling away time, uh, playing, Playing uh, the betting the horses. Uh, other than that, I play a little bit of blackjack, and I've been known to play video poker. Beyond that, I it quickly gets beyond me. Speaking of poker, here, here's something I was wondering: how you can win a bunch of money and still lose? All right, I the other night, a friend of mine who plays poker a lot plays um, down at, at Potawatomi. He tells me he won eighteen thousand dollars. Um, and on a losing hand. And I said, I don't understand this. And apparently what he said is that when, at, at Pottawatomie, what they do is they take like a buck out of every hand or something like that. And they put this in what they call a bad beat pool, bad B-E-A-T. And that's if if you're a gambler, that's where you should have won. And then something really weird happened and you ended up losing. Like you you, you bet on a horse and the horse is ahead. Thirty yards before the finish line, and the jockey falls off, and you end up losing. That's a bad beat. Well, apparently they have this thing, and the way he explained it, and I could be could be a little wrong on this. The way he explained it was: if you're playing cards and you lose with four tens or more, you you get this you get this pool, this bad beat pool. My person I was talking to had four aces. He lost with four aces to a royal flush. That is the ultimate bad beat. The bad beat pool, it paid off. He got $18,000. That was the pool. The other, And then everybody in the room apparently gets some money, too. I had never heard of this. I'm going, wait a second. You lost with four aces, and you still walked away with 18000 They He said, well, I had $300 in the pot that I ended up losing, but I got 18000 said, huh, Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 799 Stan in Milwaukee. Stan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon. Uh, my question, I was wondering if you feel that with all of the media streaming services out there, if it will eventually kill AM and FM radio?
0: Um, well, okay. Th- thanks for the call. Uh, kill A- kill AF- A- AM and FM radio? No. Make it difficult for terrestrial music stations to survive? Yes. Um I think and, and look maybe maybe I'm biased about this, but I think there is always going to be room for for example what I do on the radio um which is, which is talk I, I mean I think that's it for for music though y- yeah, I mean here I mean, here's the problem um I I mean nowadays I mean people you you've got your let's just take it in the most basic form you've got your you've got of course satellite radio. And you have, you know, your your music streaming, your MP3s, or whatever, and you can listen to whatever you want. So, if I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan, let's say I want to hear Jimmy Buffett music, I can turn on Radio Margaritaville on satellite radio, or even more directly, I've got my, you know, iPod plugged in or the streaming or whatever. I can listen to whatever I want. If I want to listen to a Jimmy Buffett album, and that's all, I, I just put it in there, and I can hear it. So, I I think. This is a huge challenge moving forward for the music radio industry. Um, you know, you, you can you can hear what you want, the type of music you want, when you want it, and you can hear it without commercials. So I think that's gonna be a challenge. Again, for for news talk, for sports talk. For other things, I think it's a different dynamic because, I mean, I I think people are always going to want to hear about the stuff that goes on in the community. So, I mean, maybe I'm looking at this um – Maybe this is, I'm looking at it just through rose-colored glasses. But, no, I don't think radio is going to die. People are predicting radio are going to die forever and ever. But I think, I mean, just like newspapers had to adapt to the Internet, I think music radio, that format, is going to have to adapt to streaming. Bob in Cedarburg. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you, Jeff. Hi.
4: I was wondering whether it was me or the lottery When the lottery first came up and the instructions on the back side of the lottery, I thought it says the profits from the lottery would go to transportation and education. I no longer see that if indeed you had seen it.
0: No, I I have not. Matter of fact, I, I know part of it goes to you know the part of the lottery goes to a tax credit. You know, that you're supposed to get a few bucks, you know, relief on your property taxes. Where the rest of the proceeds go, I don't know. I don't know. Now, thanks for calling four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. One more segment. I was wondering your chance to ask anything within the bounds of reason and good taste. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. It's two nineteen. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two twenty one. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. We call the segment "I Was Wondering." Your chance to ask anything you want. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, let's see. I was wondering. What's your lowest score for 18 holes? Presumably 18 holes of golf. 82. I have never broken 80 in my life. I continue to hope to do that. Nowadays, if I can get under 85, I am thrilled. But uh, 82 would be that. Uh, Let's see. Lena says, I was wondering if you think Tony Evers will become a better public speaker after taking office. He needs a lot of polish. Um, I think, I think. Tony Evers is what he is. I mean, keep in mind he's been elected, he's been a statewide elected official for, you know, years. Now having said that, I I think, I mean, I remember when my friend Ron Johnson first first ran for US Senate. Senator Johnson has gotten a lot better as a public speaker. Um, you know, some people are natural. Some aren't like Ron Johnson was not a natural. Tony Evers is not a natural. But, you know, Ron Johnson just made in- incredible strides. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. Mike in Marquette, Michigan says, if you leave out cookies and milk for Santa Claus, what does one leave Santa Jeff? You leave Santa Jeff a bottle of 15 year old or 12 year old bourbon. All right. Jeff, I was wondering where we can see pictures of your new wife. <laughs> got, got me could come over to my living room we've got pictures all over um i was wondering jeff i was wondering if your wife shares your passion for golf and if so how do you tolerate 18 holes without going nuts all right well here's the deal on that um my my wife is a very very good golfer but because she has had to work so hard for so long and so many hours Um, she's, you know, she just has, she has not had a chance to play as much as she would like. Well, you know, we've made arrangements this year that that's going to change a lot. So yes, I think she does share my passion for golf and I, I'm not worried about us spending 18 holes together. 414-799-1620. Jeff, I was wondering how many texts your show gets on average every hour. It depends on the topic. It depends on the day, but Every hour, forty, fifty. Again, it depends. It depends on the topic. Sometimes it just goes nuts, and sometimes not. But maybe, maybe forty or fifty. Let's talk to Dave and Brown Deer. Dave, you're on WTMJ.
5: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Hey, uh, uh, first time I got through to you. So,
0: well, glad to have you, my friend.
5: Uh, yeah. Hey, I was just wondering uh, what happened to Lena Taylor's court case with uh, that uh, incident she had at the bank.
0: Still hanging fire, I believe. I, I, th- thanks for calling. I don't think it. I don't think it has been resolved as of yet. I could be wrong, but I. I don't think so. I mean, you're, you're of course talking about, you know, where, where Lena Taylor is accused of screaming at the the bank teller. I, I don't think it has been resolved, but I. I could be wrong about that. Okay, our text line is just kind of exploding. This one will have more than 40 or 50 um, hours. Let's see. Um, I was wondering why there is no longer the WTMJ weather calendar. I loved it. Yeah, that's. I don't know the answer to that. That's, of course, the weather calendar. That was today's TMJ4, and now... You know, we're separate companies, so um, even though we're in the same building, we are separate companies. Um let's see, Jeff, I was wondering how you like the new ownership. Huh. Actually, I like the new ownership a lot. I was just saying this to somebody. I um I, I enjoyed working for journal broadcast, I enjoyed working for scripts for three years, and, and good karma. Uh the people are are incredibly nice. Um management has been very, very good. Everything that we as employees were promised was going to happen was as has happened. I'm, I'm just I'm just a big fan. I I really am, and I wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. Let's talk to Rob in Green Bay. Rob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Love the topic. Uh, I know you're a big craft beer guy. Yep. I was wondering what your favorite craft beer was.
0: Okay, well let me give you a uh, let me give you like like go tos. Um, my go to IPAs are Lakefronts. Um, The the lakefront IPA down here and also um, three sheeps brewing out of Sheboygan has an IPA called really cool water slides or now I think they just call it water slides. So if I see those two on tap, that's where I'm going. How about you? What's your what's your favorite craft beer?
3: Um, but you have two really good choices. I've had both of them. Mine is of a, a brewer out of Michigan called Old Nation. It's called an M43. It's a hazy style New England, uh, hazy New England style IPH. Okay. It's, it's fantastic.
5: Okay.
0: A- a- absolutely great. And then, I mean, and those, those I was giving you like the go-tos. There, there's some other specialty ones that I i i like a lot there's there's one called pseudo sue that i it's it's tremendous there's one out of an indiana brewery called um zombie dust and if i ever as again as an ip if i ever see zombie dust on tap i'm i'm getting that as well 227 jeff wagner wtmj 236 jeff wagner wtmj all i needed was like another 35 minutes to get through without some like major problem on the freeway sorry can't deliver it this is a bizarre one though we're essentially talking the Hale interchange, you know I-43 and 41 and 894, there is a sinkhole that is being described to me as being 20 feet long, 8 inches deep that the sheriff's department said was caused by We Energies digging. Now that's that's what the sheriff's department's saying. We Energies isn't returning calls right at the moment or hasn't gotten back to us, but 20 feet long, 8 inches deep. In the Hale interchange caused by, I, I can't even, it, it's not coming up on our traffic cameras yet, but that's, it looks like it's going to be another interesting um, <laughs> interesting afternoon on the roadways. 20 feet long, 8 inches deep. And again, the Sheriff's Department says it was caused by Wee Energy's digging. Don't know, don't know for sure any of that, but keep it tuned. We will continue to give you updates. My guess is, that just doesn't sound good. <laughs> That's good. I, I, I don't know, but when you hear 20 feet long sinkholes, 8 inches deep, in general, my reaction is that is not good. Okay. We This is the segment of the program that we put aside all the heavy lifting, and we I call it Pop Culture Corner. We talk about, well, sometimes it's movies, sometimes it's books, sometimes it's television, sometimes it's food, sometimes it's sports. It's something that I find to be interesting to me and that I, I hope will tickle your fancy as well. As I've been saying all day, this is I'm on vacation the next two weeks, so this is our final Pop Culture Corner of 2018. Uh, here's what it's based on. I have been sitting down recently and I have been looking at the 2019 calendar and I've been trying to, okay, figure out, you know, different places, different trips that I'm, I'm going to take. Where are we going to go? My wife has more time next year than she's had the last year and stuff. So we're trying to find places we can go, sometimes places close, sometimes far away. This year we did the river cruise on the Danube, you know, ended up starting in Budapest and moving through Austria. It was incredible. Next year we've got our river cruise coming up that starts in um, – Amsterdam, and then goes down the Rhine, ends up in Switzerland. Looking forward to that. Also looking forward to traveling across the United States. So I thought, as we're all bringing 2018 to an end, maybe planning ahead, I want to talk about places to go. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, if there was one place that you would recommend... Everyone else go to on vacation. And maybe it's just because it's fun. Maybe it's because it's educational. Maybe it's fun and educational. If there was one place that you have been that you would recommend that all the rest of us should go, it could be in Wisconsin. It could be in the continental U.S. It could be Hawaii. It could be Alaska. It could be Europe. It could be Asia. One place That you think everybody should go to if they have the opportunity to do that on vacation? What is your ultimate? vacation location 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line where do you think just everybody has to go if they haven't been there before or maybe if they have been there before they need to go back your favorite vacation spot 414-799-1620 as i always do with these segments i encourage you to call early our phone lines tend to jam up in addition, don't overthink this. Sometimes people say, well, I really like going to this place, but if I say the Wisconsin Dells, will people think uh, it's it's odd? No, I want an honest answer. We are back to discuss in just a moment your favorite folk vacation location. Where do you think everybody should go if they have the chance? Gru is lining up the calls. We're back in just a moment. It's 2.40. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. WTMJ News Time 243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Pop Culture Corner, your favorite vacation location. If you could recommend one place that the rest of us have to go, where would that be? Let's start with Mike, who's calling us from Michigan. Mike, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call.
0: Yes, sir. Okay, favorite vacation location.
4: I would say that uh, between uh, all the places that I've been at, my wife, uh, Gettysburg yes. has to be at the top.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh thanks for call. I mean, I I, it, it, I, I'm i I'm a huge fan of Gettysburg. There, there, there's no question about it. One of the things I always recommend, if you're going to visit battlefields, it's cool to go to battlefields anytime, but I also, I always recommend, if possible, you go around the time the battle was, was fought. Go, you know, go in late June, early July to Gettysburg, and you really get a sense of, of what it must have been like for, you know, the people out there who are fighting the battle in 1863. So, I mean, if you get a chance to go yeah, absolutely. Go. Gettysburg is tremendous. A lot of the battlefields are tremendous, but you go the time of year the battle was fought. That's that's especially special. Taylor in Greenfield. Taylor on WTMJ.
3: Hi,
5: Jeff. Hi, long Taylor. I'm listener, first time caller. Well,
0: thank you for calling. I appreciate it.
5: And uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Merry
0: Christmas, to you, sir.
5: Uh, Southern Ireland. My wife and I have been there a couple of times. The countryside is gorgeous. The people are wonderful, and the pubs in the evenings can't be beat.
0: Okay, so when you say Southern Ireland, are you talking about um, like like Dublin and stuff, or or, or further south?
5: Uh, well, the trips that we took started in Dublin. It landed in Dublin, and we went all, all the way around to okay. the west coast and the Ring of Kerry, and all the way back to Dublin at the end. So, right. all of the highlighted cities.
0: Along the way. Oh, outstanding. Thanks. You know, it's interesting that you should mention that. I've never been to Ireland. Never been to Ireland. And um, this year, it's no secret, I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan. He's playing his first concert in Ireland. It's like September 21st or something, and it's it's in Dublin. And I I was thinking long and hard. It's around the time of my brother's birthday, and I was thinking long and hard about it. The problem is uh, we're just getting back. That's we're back like a week after the river cruise that that we're taking, and I thought <laughs> it's, I thought it might be excessive to try to do this this year, but um, Ireland is definitely on my um, on, on on my list. Doug in Germantown, Doug, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Yes, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, our family favorite is the Henry Ford Museum and Greenfield Village in Dearborn, Michigan. You
0: know, it, it's funny you would say that, Doug, because one of my best buddies growing up in high school ended up getting married, married a girl from that area, and his wedding reception was at the Henry Ford Museum in, in Dearborn, Michigan.
4: Yes, it's um, extremely educational. You always find something new there. All the activities in the village, uh there's a car show on uh father's day weekend there's an antique car show uh right after labor day in september uh it's just a fantastic place to visit with the family
0: um thanks to call I, you know a- absolutely um a number of people let's see I, it, right and it's you know it's accessible you know you can you can drive it um a number of people are putting in their pitch for key west um i i I had not, be, up until last February, I had not been to Key West for a long, long time. We went there, uh, Fran and I went there on a kind of delayed honeymoon. And just absolutely fell in love with it. I don't want to live in Key West, even though as a retirement job, driving the Conch Train, which is kind of like the Zoomobile around the island, and, and that, that would be a lot of fun. But um, I, 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 we're going back. Matter of fact, we're going back in February because we liked it so much. A week in Key West in mid-February is great. I don't know that I want to live there, but I'd love it to vacation. And I, I suspect we might make it a regular stop on our list as well. Let's talk to Larry in Illinois. Larry, you're on WTMJ.
2: How we doing? I'd be going back to Iceland in the heartbeat. okay you know it's it's
0: it's funny you should mention that I know a couple people who went to Iceland this year and just absolutely absolutely loved it. They thought the scenery was just breathtaking
4: uh it's It's phenomenal. you drive around the coast it's really one road around the country you got these the, the the sea on one side, the cascading green waterfalls, and then just nothing but uh, volcanic rock and uh and uh, the golfing was unbelievable. How golfing long, do you, how long do you think? How long do you think you could?
0: Orleans. How long do you think you could spend there? Like my friends were there for like three or four days. Is that too uh, short or too long or just right?
4: Uh, it's not long enough. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. You
4: need to go. Uh, you know, we went for. Five six days for, on a golfing outing with a bunch of friends, and uh, you know, I said, and the golfing was unbelievable. Even though I'm a bad golfer, uh,
0: but, well, um, all right, but the scenery yeah. was spectacular. No, thank the scenery was spectacular. I mean, that that's it. I guess it's it's funny because I had never thought of Iceland as a as a, ves- a destination. And th- these friends of mine um, went. They, they were in Iceland, and they just they just absolutely loved it. John in Elm Grove, John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Hey, how are you? Thanks I am for, well. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, yeah, we uh, we were out in Laguna Beach and we just we just loved it. It was great. They had a playground on the on the beach. There were a lot of great shops around. Mm-hmm. Um, people are nice. There's a Whole Foods across the street that we were able to go go into and check out. Uh, but yeah, we really we really liked Laguna Beach. That whole you know that whole you know Southern California. You know Venice Beach, right. in a Point. It's just. Uh, it, it was great i love i love it out there i'd like to I'd like to move out there but i can't afford it well that i was gonna say
0: that, yeah, that i mean that, that that's the issue you know it's interesting when you mentioned laguna beach my my dad my my dad and mom have both passed away but um when when he first got my father was in the marines and when he first i he was stationed out. He was stationed out in California, and I know they, they lived in Laguna Beach for like a, a year or two before I was born, but they always used to talk about that. That that whole area is, of course, it's expensive, but it's beautiful. I've told the story before. My my niece is now a sophomore at San Diego State University, and I, I, I we'll see her <clears throat> for Christmas vacation, and we might see her for summer vacations, but my guess is San Diego or Milwaukee, I, I think, you know, I have a feeling that she can become a Southern California girl really quick. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to David in Fond du Lac. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hey, good afternoon. Nice show. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, we would go to uh, Yellowstone Park in September. You'd get to see um, a lot
5: of wildlife. The colors are just, like,
1: outstanding.
5: Yeah. And uh, the, the traffic isn't as is uh, as high as it, mid mid summer.
0: Right, you know it's. I mean, thanks for the call, David. Actually, that's um, <clears throat> my my wife very very much wants to do that, so I think that might be on on one of our lists coming up. Paul in Appleton, Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
5: Good afternoon, Jeff.
0: Okay, your favorite vacation location.
5: Well, uh, listening to all the callers and, and John before, I've been to Dana Point, I've been to Laguna Beach, I've been to Key West, I've been to Ireland, but my favorite. My wife and I have traveled to is St. John's in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Probably the only time uh, when when we're when when we're on vacation that just the, the peaceful peacefulness and relaxation just sets right in.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Eng- English is the primary language. St. John's, it's English, is primarily spoken there, right?
5: It is. Yeah, it is a U.S. Uh, uh,
0: okay, got it. Yeah, because I mean, I know there's a couple of ones. Um, no, th- thanks. For, I've, I've never, I've never spent any time there. I, I've made the stop. I will tell you another place that's on. Well, here's one of a text: Curacao, um, Dutch Netherlands Antilles, peaceful, less commercial and developed. The neighboring, you know, islands, quaint, historical, warm. I've been there seven times. I will tell you one place on my list is uh, my. My sister-in-law, Maggie, is married to Franz, who's just a a great guy. Franz is a native of Bonaire, which is, again, it's a a Dutch protectorate, I think, right off the coast of Venezuela. And they have, like, two houses down there. And they spend spend time between Bonaire, which is tremendous for diving, and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So um, I I have a place to stay and a standing invitation. And I intend at some point in time to get there. Bill in Greendale. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Hi,
5: Jeff. Hi, Bill.
4: Uh, Alaska. Okay, I would suggest the cruise
5: and the land tour, but I would definitely do the land tour first because it's very very gruesome. It takes a lot of your time, and then the cruise after that, so you can sit and relax and charge up your batteries.
0: So if you're going to go, just don't cheat yourself. If you're going to go all the way to Alaska, take it all in. Is what you're saying?
5: Absolutely, it's beautiful there. You
0: know, I mean, thanks to I I I've never been to Alaska. Um, never never been to Alaska. Okay. Let's see. Here's a text. Jeff. Charleston, South Carolina, the food, the history the beaches. There's something for everyone. It's a beautiful and it's a safe city. Yeah, I I used to in another life, I, I travel to Charleston occasionally. I, I love a lot of those those cities, the, the antebellum South and the low country in South Carolina, just absolutely tremendous, great places uh, to visit. And, and he's right about safe. You know, we were talking about Key West earlier. That was one of the things that struck me about Key West. It's kind of like New Orleans. I, I love New Orleans, but New Orleans, sometimes you get a feeling, and maybe that's part of the appeal, that it can be a little dangerous. Key West, I, I thought, was just incredibly safe. I mean, you're, you're wandering around. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and maybe it's a misguided thing. But I, I remember talking to a police officer, and I said, it just really seems like this is safe here. You don't have crime. well, every once in a while, somebody gets drunk and steals somebody else's you know, bicycle. But, you know, other than that, you know, by and large, yeah, it, it's, it's incredibly safe. But, yeah, Charleston is there. Hey, I can't let this segment end without also saying – if you have never been to Washington DC, do yourself do yourself a favor and go to Washington DC. Uh, and again, in another life, I used to travel there all the time, and it, it didn't matter how many times I went. I just always loved the opportunity to see the monuments and to, to go to the Smithsonian's and just to soak in the history. A lot of the stuff, I mean, the Smithsonian's are free. The National Gallery of Art, it, it's it's free. You can just wander around. If you go there, go to the Lincoln Memorial and then kind of take a right turn and go down and see the Vietnam Veterans Wall. If you haven't been to Washington, D.C., you need to do it. Okay. Thank you for all the calls. This was a lot of fun. We're going to turn this over to John McCure. He's on the road in just a couple minutes. But as I've been saying all day, I'm on vacation the next two weeks. I'm back, I think, January 2nd. I will continue to be updating my Twitter, my Twitter account and things like that. But this is the last show of 2018. I, I wanted to just take a moment and first of all, wish you a very, very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and you know, a, a very Happy New Year. I say this all the time, but I mean it sincerely. When it comes to your radio listening, I know you have a lot of different choices, and I very much do appreciate you spending the last few hours and the last week and the last year and the last 20 years with me. It means more to me than I can tell you. So Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 255.